0: Coming up on this episode of You Screen West Screen, we get a new commercial for Kiki's Delivery Service, TVB looks like they're going to remake Daredevil, a Japanese film wins the top award at Annecy, and for our films this week, we look at Sammo Hung and God of War, and the Disney Pixar sequel, Cars 3. three. West 3. welcome to another episode of east screen west screen this is the show where we talk about film from hong kong to hollywood and some other stuff in between i'm your host paul fox sitting here in sunny south florida and coming to us from his news desk in sammo hung's kitchen is mr kevin ma hey there paul how's it going everybody how are you doing sir is does sammo still have a restaurant there in hong kong does sammo ever had a restaurant i think he did at one time I think
1: every like major like, celebrity in Hong Kong had a had a restaurant yeah. at one point or another. They, they, they've all um, come and
0: gone. Now it's just the celebrity yeah. chefs, right? Like, uh, let's see, uh, who's, who's like the, Nick who's Nick Say. The, <laughs> Nick. Say, who's the Who's the guy that yells at people? Um, uh, you talk Hel- about Gordon Ramsay. Yeah, yeah. Didn't he 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 like, he like opened something there? Didn't he? And and what's yeah, his yeah, name? Yeah, yeah. The the healthy guy. Uh, uh, Jamie Oliver. Jamie also has a Oliver. Restaurant yeah, here yeah, in Hong yeah. Kong. Yes,
1: yes. Uh, No, I mean, actually, I'm surprised Nick Say doesn't have a restaurant yet. Uh, Even uh, Daniel Wu at one point had a sushi restaurant that he co-invested in, I think, with uh, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, Tony Chan, the guy who wrote uh, Hot Summer Days. Yeah, I think, I don't know if it's still around, Monster Sushi, that's the place.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, aside from food, how's it been going there? What have you been up to?
1: uh not much you know same old same old uh just a lot of work you know asia and cinema as, as yeah. always um some translation work coming up uh so m- i'll probably get busy for the next couple of weeks and then uh in about two weeks two and a half weeks i think i'll be heading over to to taipei for the uh, film festival just for a couple of days
0: uh, yes and uh, are you going to be trying to catch up on that film we talked about before
1: uh story of taipei i don't know if you'll keep playing because i think it's already cooled down quite a bit the mm. uh the the it, it you know comes really quickly and then it, it's just a fad really yeah um so i hope you will still be playing but i'm not so sure
0: yes yeah, so well i myself have been keeping busy uh our little one is off visiting the grandparents so we had an extraordinary amount of free time this past weekend we got out to see quite a few movies which is unusual for us we saw the new what is it rough night the sort of girls version one part hangover one part uh, weekend at bernie's not really all that funny uh, for us Um, also caught up on the latest pirates of the caribbean installment and we've been watching a bunch of stuff on video i myself have delved deep into (laughs) dangerous waters with uh crunchyroll and oh boy uh, i've been i caught up on the attack on titan season 2 i had basically a huge marathon of that last week as the season 2 finale got released and so i'm all caught up on that and i'm happy to announce for any attack on titan fans um that are listening if you haven't seen season 2 and you've kind of been holding off because of what they did at the end of season 1 which was like what 2014 <laughs> so it's been like 3 4 years um you know between between seasons they have announced that there will be a season 3 in 2018 so you're not going to have to wait quite so long um so yeah but that kind of led me down the rabbit the anime rabbit hole which i was afraid was going to happen because immediately upon finishing attack on titan i jumped over to the new berserk series and then i've been, i'm off on something else called grand blue fantasy and this is my problem with anime it's like once I start, it's like a huge snowball effect. I can't, I can't stop. Um, <laughs> so that's that's pretty much uh, been my past week, and I've got to try and withdraw myself uh, um, from Crunchyroll at some point um, so that I can actually get some things done, like podcasting and, and, and more important stuff, right? Um, so, yeah, so that's been my week. And uh, if, you've out, if you're out there and you've seen Attack on Titan Season 2 and you want to discuss it, you know, throw me... Uh, Throw me some feedback, because I'd love to talk about it, but this is probably not the best venue for that, at least not until they decide to make a a movie out of it, and we know how that that goes. That does not go very well. (laughs) Well. All right, that's enough of that. Let me throw the talking stick back over to Kevin, where he's going to give us this week's news. Over here
1: at the news desk. Uh, so uh, there's a new cup noodle commercial that, that you know, I think mean, Paul and I wants to talk about. Um, the new campaign is called Hungry Days, and uh, I think they're gonna create a couple of, of um, ads uh, surrounding that that theme. But the first one, uh, quite surprisingly, is a um, sort of a sequel, I guess. It's like a new animated version of Kiki's Delivery Service, but redone as a youth romance.
0: Yeah, it's uh, when I saw this I was both excited and dumbfounded <laughs> at the same time. Confused. Because I it you know I thought oh is this like a new thing that's coming it's not in the Miyazaki style at all. You know, it looks mo- much more akin to um what was the what was the film that just came out My Name, Your Name, right? Your like, name. Yeah, your it, name. It looks yeah. much more akin to that kind of animation style. Um, the, the, you know, Kiki's a teenager and there's a guy, there's a boy there. And, you know, uh, but I, I kind of wanted to see more of it by the end (laughs) as as sacrilegious (laughs) as that might sound, you know, to, to true Miyazaki fans, I, I wanted more. So I don't know. Are we going to get more Kevin?
1: I have no idea. Um, I've no idea what the campaign's about. Honestly, they just sort of sprang this ad on us yesterday, I think. Um, and uh, well, the thing is, Kiki's Delivery Service was a novel. So what they're basing this on is a reimagination of the original story. So actually, the kid, uh, the man, the boy, I guess, the teenage boy in the in the in the ad is actually the male character, uh, the, the 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 male character Tumbo in um, the original animated film. Mm. Uh, Or the original story, Um, of course. Since since uh, Miyazaki only owns adaptation rights, it was kind of you know free for all. I guess as long as they get the permission from the original author. But interestingly, yes, this is sort of they they um, uh, made it with some teenage angst, and now the whole story is about um kiki is a 17 year old she's in high school and she sees a uh, tombo the, the 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 kid has has a crush and she gets jealous so she decides to confess her feelings and i have no idea what this has to do with cup noodles i don't <laughs> think anyone knows um but you know it's a cool ad because actually nishin nishin's been uh, releasing a couple of really cool ads lately um the, the, the this one being one of them and then another one is um, they released free ads for their their classic chicken ramen uh, line and three of them are sort of spoof, spoof ads, I suppose. So one of them is um, essentially, because you know the way to cook chicken ramen is that you don't have to put in any powder. You just heat it up in water and you pour water over some egg and then you wait three minutes and then eat it. So one of them is um, the whole ceremony of making the chicken ramen done, redone as a tea ceremony in a tea ceremony style. Mm. Um, and then another one is done as like an airline safety video uh, teaching you how to properly make the Lama on the plane and you might have to... Uh, and if you have to escape the plane in a, in a, in a shoot, you should take your Lama carefully, that kind of thing. It's really, like, very funny. It's animated. And then the, my favorite one is actually a reenactment of a police raid. It's like a sort of a cop-style uh, reality show or like a current event uh, Japanese news show. Um, and it's cops arresting people who miss miss... I guess who don't follow directions and don't make the egg cook properly in the noodles and it's like a really funny reality show style cop style kind of thing it's hilarious so they're really hit those guys whoever they're hiring is really hitting out the park lately
0: well this this points to a couple of things first i'm reminded because we were just talking once again about terrace house at the start of the show they they have like a noodle museum right and in the boys and girls in the city that was like one of the dates. That a couple went on. They went to the noodle museum, and you can make custom cups, and it it looked like a Disneyland, but for cup noodles. Uh, oh yeah. in a sense. And I was like, I, I want to go visit that place. That that looks kind of interesting. So I, I guess there, you know, it's more than just noodle culture. There's there's a whole sort of creative a- aspect behind it. And I'm also reminded too of some years back you know, you know, we all know that Japanese commercials are insane by design anyway, but I remember, was it for Toyota or I forget what brand it was for, but they hired like Jean Reno to play Doraemon. Yep. Yep. That was Toyota. Yeah. Toyota. So it's like, you know, they, they really flex their creative muscles when they come to doing some of these uh, commercials. But I, you know, again, I'm, Again, I feel like I'm a little bit sacrilegious in, in wanting to see more of this Kiki storyline. So uh, maybe we'll get some more episodes and, and uh, it'll play out. Now, you mentioned that Miyazaki has the rights to the adaptation, um, but they did do the live-action remake a couple years ago. Did they have to go through him to do that? or
1: No, the live-action was an adaptation of the novel, just like the Miyazaki version is the adaptation of the novel, and I'm sure that this one, they also just got permission from the the novelist, uh, mm-hmm. not from G- Studio Ghibli, because even the animation style is, is markedly different from the original film. So, though, though, all three are different adaptations of the novel, not an adaptation of any other adaptation that came before. So, um... Uh, essentially the live-action version, again, based on a novel, they say that it's based on a novel, not based on the Miyazaki film. Even the Miyazaki film is based on a novel. So that's the, the, the thing. Just, I wouldn't call it a remake or a reboot of the Miyazaki film. I would just call it a reimagination of the original story, the right. original novel, I suppose. Right, right. Yeah.
0: And there's no, I mean, for, for what we know, there's no real connection in terms of, like, they're not using the same voice actors or any, anything like that, right? No, as far as I don't
1: know, they're not using any of the same actors. Um, yeah, nothing like that, no.
0: So if you're interested to see, you know, Kiki in a commercial, um, I'd say first, uh, if you're on Facebook, check out Kevin's um, Kevin's feed because he's posted it there on Facebook. I'll try and put it up in the show notes, too, when the show goes live. And I'm sure you can just, you know, do a quick Google search on YouTube for Kiki and Noodle commercial and, and you'll be able to find it. Speaking of remakes uh, of a sort, uh, talking TVB, right? ha <laughs> 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 Should we talk TVB? <laughs> why Why do we want to talk about TVB, Paul? I have no idea. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, I, I'm going to let you take this you, one, you, sir. You, because...
1: Oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> all right. All right. Um, I'll try. Okay. So TVB has a new series coming out next week. Um called uh do you remember the name of the show, it's Paul? The I Justice Society the Unlaw... No, the Un
0: the Unlawful something The Unlawful Justice Squad. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not Suicide Squad, it's not Justice League. You know, and Oh it's... no, it's called Legal
1: Mavericks, which is not even that much better. <laughs> sorry it's called legal mavericks that's their new name i think
0: oh they've changed the name okay
1: they changed it according to wikipedia it's now called legal
0: mavericks and this is just within a day they've just changed this within the day i wonder if this is because of buzz it's been getting on social media because literally 24 hours ago i was looking at this site and and they've changed the name because i've i sent it to a few people under that under that original name that's that's amazing
1: So, so this show, what is about? And um, it, 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 it stop me if it sounds familiar to you. It's about a lawyer who is blind, and he um, has heightened senses, and he uses those heightened senses to fight crime. Hey, does that sound like anything? Any, any, anything like similar? Anything that's hap- That you know that that exists around the 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 you know the comic book sphere, Paul. Hmm, I'm not sure. Let
0: me check.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Maybe, maybe, perhaps uh, it's been that role's been played by Hollywood actor, uh, name of Affleck. Maybe. Mm, Could be.
0: Could be. Yeah. Yeah. The the, the name Kevin Smith comes to mind uh, a little bit. uh. Mm
1: -hmm. I don't. I don't want to make any accusation. You know, like. (laughs) You know, it could be an original, maybe the writers in TVB, they're like, I got an idea. Some guy comes in, the producer comes in, I got a great idea. What if there's a lawyer who's blind and he, he can use his, his heightened sense to defeat the criminals when the courts can't? It sounds like a great idea, right? It's like an outlaw lawyer. You know, he could be like um, someone who has guts. You know, you call him, you know, uh, he, you know, he dares the criminals to, you know, whatever. Uh, you know, it's kind of like a devil, right? I don't know.
0: Well, to I, be fair, they they have uh, deviated slightly from the supposed source material, right? Because uh, the the main actor, the main character here, is being portrayed by Vincent Wong, and the character's name is Hope Man San uh, Man San Hop, right? So yes, uh, if you His put name it is together, Hope Man. Hope Man. He is Hope Man. Hope Man. <laughs>
1: They couldn't even come up with a proper superhero name. His name is freaking Hope Man. And TVB is actually, even though they say it's a crime show, um, TVB apparently is selling it as uh, Hong Kong's first superhero drama. So. Mm.
0: As opposed superhero. to the superhero comedy that they had a couple years ago with, uh, was it Moses and uh, Ada Choi, right? So the superhero thing? I, I don't watch TVB. Oh, you have you to yeah. tell me. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, okay, it's TVB. We can't expect too much right but i mean how, how close could you get <laughs> i i don't want
1: to like you know you know be charged for anything that could be like libel or be responsible for any any you know legal action but um i think marvel should perhaps take a look at this series I'm just saying. I yeah. mean, why? I, mean, I don't know. Maybe, maybe they could get some inspiration in case they ever want to come up with a story about a blind lawyer who fights crime. I don't know. Mm.
0: Yes, indeed. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you know, maybe we'll get a spinoff, uh, you know, about a plucky uh, private investigator who also has superpowers. And, hey, you know, a guy who goes to a secret place and learns some really cool martial arts. and um, somebody I've who's got a got... great idea. Who's got skin that can't be broken, right? Yeah,
1: I've got a great idea for a superhero show. Actually, for superhero drama in Hong Kong. A rich billionaire who is attacked and has to save his own life by creating a core in his heart. And then in the process, he builds a robotic suit um, that he, of course, changes every episode, maybe every week. I don't know. Um, And and he could be called Steel Man. Mm,
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good idea. I like that, Steel Man. Or maybe you get a guy who's you know a billionaire and uh, goes out at night and he uh, I don't know dresses up like a rat right and because rats are all over Hong Kong and he'll be called Rat Man. Or no, actually, Paul, Paul, Paul. I, I think View TV's already making that one. You can't, you can't. No, it's a different universe. <laughs> okay. I ho- I really hope that you know some of the parody channels like um, you know. you know 100 hair or something they they get a hold of this and they just go to town with it because it's rife for parody i'm sure (laughs) my god (laughs) all right let's get on to some finally some serious news um kevin you've got a news about a japanese film winning a top award
1: well, two, two Japanese films, actually. So the Annecy uh, International Animation Film Festival just wrapped up over in France. And uh, the top two, f- well, there were many different categories, but the feature film category uh, was topped by two Japanese films. So uh, the grand prize or the crystal, whatever prize for the top feature film went to um, a Japanese film called uh, Lou Over the Wall. Is the new, uh, is the latest film from the director, uh, Masaaki Yuasa. He directed Mind Games, I think about 10 years ago, maybe 2004, 2005. Um, and he sort of made a huge comeback to feature filmmaking because he's made two films this year. Um, and this Lou over the Wall was made completely with flash, flash animation, which means that he, he got to made it, make it with only one third of the usual staff. Um, so the films are being released in Japan and it won the top prize over at Annecy. Uh, and then the the jury award. Uh, in the same category, went to uh, In This Corner of the World, um, the Wars Time drama. Directed by Sunao Katebuchi. this film actually was really a critic's darling over uh, the awards season this past year in Japan. Uh, essentially overshadowing your name with winning all the critical awards, uh, including Kineo Junpo's top 10 list, and also the uh, it won the Japan Film Academy Prize for or Japan Academy Prize for uh, the best animated film of the year. So it really overshadowed um, uh, your name's uh, uh, big year in a way. Um, And also, um, and then the the audience prize went to a uh, film called Loving Vincent, which uh, uses Vincent Van Gogh's painting to retell the story of the painter's life. So it sounds very intriguing. But this is the first time in 22 years that a Japanese film won the top prize, believe it or not. Um, For the last uh, two decades, you know, it's been films from America. Even My Life as McDow actually won the top award at Annecy, uh, Annecy that year. That it came out um but yeah uh the last japanese film to win that top prize was pompoko from studio ghibli so we were wow. just talking about studio ghibli so uh it's a big big uh thing for japan because you know they they claim to be you know the, the big leader of animated animation in the world uh so it's big that they finally get the top prize back in the uh top animation film festival in the world uh so congratulations uh to those two films
0: yeah congratulations and I think part of Japan's problem too is that, um, you know, it's that most of their animators are just making One Piece episodes. <laughs> because, <laughs> oh my God! I was looking when I was looking through first stuff to watch. You know, the, the the One Piece library popped up, and it's like over a thousand episodes. I'm like, how does anybody even begin to approach that? Because I've had people, at, you know, tell me before that I should I should give it a, give it a go and. I think I got like two or three episodes in and I just couldn't, I couldn't do it. I was like, this is just too much of a commitment. Um, but a show that's got that many episodes, I mean, that's a lot of animators. That's a lot of people working for, you know, a single series. And there are so many other anime series out there. It's, it really is surprising when you think about the amount of animation that Japan does put out um, that they haven't won more often.
1: Yeah, I, I mean these many many actually big sort of directors you know now Shinka Makoto Mamoru Hosoda, um, uh, a lot of the modern sort of uh, big animation directors now they all started doing these you know TV shows. Um, in fact, Keiichihara, who is the the um, director in focus at this year's uh, Tokyo International Film Festival's uh, animation focus, um, he started his career at Doraemon and Crayon uh, shin so everyone gets their start somewhere, right? So they start small and they do these TV shows or they do these big lawn series and then they, they slowly work their way up in the industry if you have any talent. So um, yeah, uh, I think that's, you know, animation is a big industry in Japan. So you have no idea. It's, it's hard to imagine how many aspiring animators are out there uh, in Japan. Probably makes a better living than directing movies.
0: All right, that is going to wrap it up for our news section this week. We'll be back after a short musical break with Kevin's review of Gordon Chan's God of War. And welcome back. So for our e-screen review this week, Kevin, you're going to tell us about God of War.
1: That's right. God of War is the latest film from uh, director Gordon Chan. He did uh, Fight Back to School and Pain to Skin. And I think his last couple of films were the Free the Free Trilogy. Oh, the Four. The Four. Sorry. The Four Trilogy.
0: <laughs> he he
1: cut uh, him one short. This, this is gonna come back. This don't I'll bring it. I'm bringing this back up in a bit. um There's a period war film based on a true, the true adventures of uh of a, a general called uh Chi, Chi Junggan I think Chi something like that. Chi Jingang, yeah. Um, and it's set in the 16th century. The story, uh. During the 16th century, Japanese pirates proliferate along the Chinese coastline. In 1557, the pirates take over Qinggang in Zhejiang province. After months of futile advances, Commander Yu, played by Sam Mahong, finally defeats them under the leadership of newly promoted General Qi, played by Vincent Zhao. While Qi builds a new army, the pirates regroup and once again attack the coastal cities of China. With both the cities of Xinghe and Taizhou under attack, cheese army of three thousand men is caught between two fires so again this is supposedly based on a true story and it is the true story of the best man ever ever Paul, Mm. ever Um, this guy is righteous, he's chivalrous and he's a gentleman and he's just a generally a genius tactician and an all around good lad Um, it's just too bad that Gordon Chan reveres this guy so much that he just makes him incredibly boring um, he's just not a very interesting character because part because he's so damn righteous, um, and and Gordon Chan is you know he 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 we we remember him as um, I think director's uh, director of drama you know a lot of good dramatic films in Hong Kong you know even the um, comedies even like uh, for example like I said Fight Back to School and also did uh, what else did he do Paul he did Beast Cops he co-directed Beast Cops with Dante Lam. Um, and, and, you know, quite a few films and, you know, he had a good career here in Hong Kong, but then, um, ever since, for some reason, I guess ever since he discovered sync, not sync, not shooting a film in sync Sound or something like that, he hasn't been able to really properly pace a film. Um, for some reason, he's a director who makes scenes, he directs scenes, but he can never really put together a film as a whole. He can never really make a pop, a film pop or properly paced. Um, and weirdly that nowadays playing in a big Chinese commercial market, I think is a bit lost because he started as a big drama director, but then he's trying to do these big period action films. And, and I don't think he quite knows how to handle them. Um, it feels like his works have become more and more forgettable. Um, I'm not kidding. You know, talk about the four or the three Uh, while I was watching the film. I literally forgot how many the four films there were. I was like, was it two films? Were there three films? I don't remember any. I was like, how could he make three films out of that story while watching this film? That's how boring it was for me. Uh, I kept thinking about the four. I was like, what do I remember from the four? Not a damn thing.
0: Um, I remember a guy turned war- into a tree, right?
1: Okay, got turned a tree. Yeah, Wu Xiu Bo is like the most casual villain ever. I remember that? I remember Louis uh, um, Fei who, who was in a wheelchair suddenly finding like a like a jet rocket crutch or something <laughs> that makes her fly. And there was a lot of hot potting. But is that enough for three films? Not really. Like I, I really don't remember anything from those films. And I think I could say that for pretty much most of his output after he went to China. Um, the war scenes are actually not that bad. The battle scenes, the scale is pretty impressive. But um, there's no real sense of space. Like I think he can do money shots, and he can put together a big crew and a big together a big you know a a big group of extras. Um, But somehow, you know, um, there's I think the cutting is um, they don't really it doesn't really not really coherent sometimes. Um, And don't get me started on the continuity of the finale. Remember in Johnny Toe's Vengeance. Um, they're running down one street and then suddenly next block, it turns from day to night. Same thing happens here. Like they're literally coming down the beach and then they get on a pier and then suddenly they cut, the, you know, they run down the pier and it's suddenly night. It's that kind of really bad continuity. Um, Vincent Zhao is actually physically capable of delivering the superhero, the superhero of a general. He's a very good martial artist. I mean, we all know that he's been around for so long and, and we all know he's a good fighter. Um, but he's never been a great actor I think he's still pretty stilted actor. And I think that um Gordon Chan's stilted handling of dialogue scenes uh really doesn't help him. Um again, because because this character is so righteous and so best man ever, um, that that he really, really doesn't have much of a chance to stretch as an actor. And let's face it, like I said, you know, risen Zhao, not a very complex actor. Um uh Wan Chan, uh the who was in Paradise in Service, uh, he she plays the general's feisty wife who don't take any stuff from anyone, and, and she's gonna throw a temper tantrum whenever she wants and she's been disrespected whatever, um and she's fine, um although that whole thing about their, the the marriage is actually quite weird, um because there's a really weird power dynamic going on there. And it's almost like she's mad at him all the time, but you're like, for what? Um, but but um, the problem is, so she handles one of the big battles at the end of the film. But, you know, you're like, where the hell does she learn how to fight? No idea. Um, the film is sort of missing a lot of these little pieces. Um, Sam Mahong is only in the first half of the film as uh, Commander Yu. Um, I think he's there for some old-timer respect, really, mainly. Or respect, as uh, we might call it. Um, God, I don't remember who, I, who I'm imitating anymore. My mind is going, policy. Um <laughs> But yeah, he's there for some like old-timer respect. The way we got this old-timer, he's got the uh, older audiences in because we got Sammo Hong. But it's only in the first half of the film, and uh, he only has really one fight scene, and that's a sparring scene between him and General Chi. Um, which is not bad, but it's really just a throwaway scene because it doesn't move the story at all. And So it's just there, like, they're just sparring so that martial arts fans get to see Vincent Zhao fight Samuel Hong. Um, and if you're still creaming over that idea of that, I think we're in the wrong generation because I totally did not. <laughs> like, I wasn't into it. Um, the Japanese actors, you know, as they usually do in this type of film, they're just really sneering villains most of the time, especially uh, the people who play the Ronins because apparently the pirates, um, they hired Ronins to do really their dirty work. And a lot of them are just really dirty, evil people who want woman and money. And you know um, that's how it is in Japanese, uh, China Chinese films when you when you have Japanese villains. But veteran actor Yasuaki Kurada, who I guess is making a real comeback in in the Greater China region, um, he he actually brings some real gravitas in uh, in a role that really could have been another thankless villain. He's the head of the pirates, but he plays uh, a, a commander that um, seems to have some respect for the Chinese army and sees this you know war as as sort of uh, a matchup between two, you know, real military, uh, because he has real respect for General Chi and the fact that he sort of brought respectability back to the Ming Dynasty army, uh, and and he sees him as like a like a, might, a worthy uh, opponent. Um, and you know, that role could have been another thankless villain. So the film does cover a Japanese more than more as real formidable enemies. But again, it's really mainly main melody stuff here. Main melody being the what we call Chinese propaganda stuff that promotes, you know, socialist values and nationalism. It's mostly the fact the way the, Jap- the way the Japanese are portrayed here. Mostly about eighty percent of it is really just typical main melody work here. Um, so it's not a painful movie to sit through. Um, it's not really the most exciting. Gordon Chan is not gordon chan on his best day even though i'm sure he he truly believes in this movie just like he believed in the four i almost said the free again that was weird <laughs> uh just just like how he believes in the four trilogy how he believed that he made a good film and i think he believed that he made a very um entertaining uh big spectacular war epic here but you know it's a gordon chan film <laughs> what else is there space? It's space not like really a real breakthrough here um so the film is okay but honestly, it's really not that good. So unless you're interested in seeing Vincent Zhao in action again after all these years, um, this is not really a, a required ve- viewing. But I can I can imagine there are plenty of fanboys out there who who would you know who likes the idea of seeing Vincent Zhao in action again. So I guess this film would be for you.
0: Yeah, you mentioned uh, Wan Qian, and your question about you know where did she learn how to fight? When you say fight, she's not doing like. You know, one on one, is she more of a strategist directing like the big battle or was it like one on one fights?
1: No, because uh, at one I mean the enemies come up to her wall and she has to fight like it's hand, you know, combat. So, yeah, she actually apparently that character knows how to fight people. Like she actually knows how to do hand to hand combat. Okay,
0: okay. Yeah. Like martial arts, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess if we were to go and compare this with last year's film which also kind of had a Samo cameo in it, right? Uh, Call of Heroes. And, you know, in terms of the, the action set pieces, in terms of, you know, the, the, the kind of storytelling that's going on, would you say that this is not quite up to snuff with that, that one?
1: Oh, it's a completely different thing. I think this Golden Gordon Chan's attempt at Redcliffe. Mm. More like... Um, Um, yeah, it's more like a poor man's Redcliffe, really, (laughs) if you think about it. Um, um, So, no, Call of Heroes is much more exciting. That's a pure martial arts escapist you know big entertaining spectacle film this one it's actually a war film um there are some strategy involved and there's some politics uh court intrigue that kind of thing um and and the battle scenes and and w- with battle scenes and some strategy and stuff like that so like i said it's really more like a a red cliff, uh wannabe more than a call of heroes hmm,
0: interesting uh i mean <clears throat> is this something that i that just based on you know the the sort of bigger scale of it even though you know Samo is not a big part of it because it seems like in the trailers they're kind of pushing him a little bit um, so I'm a bit surprised that he's relegated to it to a smaller role but I mean that makes sense he's been kind of downplaying uh, a lot of roles for the past couple of years really um, but I mean is this is this something worth seeing just on the merits of sort of the scope I mean it's it's competent battle sequences and things. It's not, uh, you know, they're not they're not cutting corners with a lot of stuff. I mean, you did mention like the beach scene, right? But in terms of some of the other sequences, do they seem like they're you know pretty pretty well put together in terms of the the choreography, the action direction? Because you know, thinking about Gordon Chan, when we go back to some of the earlier films, you mentioned like he did fight back to school. That's different altogether, but it does have some stylized action in it then you get into um things like king of beggars and fist of legend you know in in the early mid 90s uh, has he lost a step i guess or or is he still does he still have an eye for the action
1: no i i think they're competent the war scenes are competent but none of them are really that great um, um of course you have a, a martial artist lead so i mean that the, the actors themselves are fine they're fine. They're quite good, actually. It's not bad. But I, I think that Gordich has really lost that energy in his filmmaking. We talk about the 90s, you know, when you when that kind of stylized filmmaking is everywhere and he played that very well. And he, but he seems to have lost that energy Um it's it's fine. I mean, it's a war film. It's not a terrible film. I don't think it's, it's going to be my worst ten of the year or anything like that. But it's a it's a respectable film. But it's just not particularly good. And I don't think you remember any of the the battle scenes once you come out of it. Um, I, mean, I mean, if you're interested in that kind of the the period or the story of this general um and you're kind of interested in that history maybe it's kind of worth a watch but again it's you know um gordon chan reveres this character so much that there's not the character is not very interesting Mm -hmm. um and and this whole thing about samuel is again really small roles, so it's not worth watching to see him really he's done better action in better films and in better roles um i guess the five Vincent zhao fans out there will be happy you know, um, I don't know. It, it's, it's, it's okay. I think it sounds like you're quite interested in seeing this, Paul. Uh,
0: you know, I was because I thought it was going to be more of, a, I thought it was going to be like sort of an equal Sammo and Vincent Zhao vehicle. I do like Vincent, you know, in some roles. Um, I'm trying to think back. I didn't see, uh, he's got a movie in 2014 called The Boundary. I didn't see that, but, um, he had a role in White Haired Witch of Lunar Kingdom, which was kind of, eh. But uh, he had a film before that called Wudang, which, not a great film, but he had some really good fight sequences in it. Um, Just, you know, kind of showing off his skill set. Does he get an opportunity to shine like that, or is this more of a big battle strategy, you know, battle of wits kind of thing?
1: Um. I think it wants to be that battle of wit strategy kind of thing, but it doesn't really quite get there. Um, there are some of that, especially in the first half. But uh, as far as Samuel goes, I, as, as far as I can remember, there's only one fight scene, and that's that sparring scene between him and Vincent Zhao. Um, Vincent Zhao gets a bit more work here. He gets a bit more fight um because there's some sprinkle in the middle and then there's some like i said there are a few sparring scenes and i think the end he gets to fight someone he gets to fight the villain hand you know in a hand-to-hand combat thing so i think it kind of wants to be both you know a showcase for martial artists and a big you know what a Redcliffe kind of war film and it kind of doesn't really go either way or succeed either way um but it's not like a failure because you know it does deliver in some ways on both ends and both fronts Um, But I just didn't find it terribly exciting uh, uh, as either as either an action film or a war film.
0: Do you think it would have been better had they gone another direction? And, you know, given that they want to make this sort of the best man ever gone with somebody more of an actor, say an Andy Lau, somebody who's going to be less of a martial artist in the role, but can maybe bring out that kind of noble performance that I think they were looking for?
1: Yeah, I think a louder actor, an actor of more of a, a, a commanding presence would have helped. But again, you know, the character isn't really helped by the way Gordon Chan handles the film. I mean, they like, you know, the whole middle part, actually a lot of speaking scenes, quite a lot of talking scenes, dialogue scenes. And, and I think he wants them to be dramatic and he wants to come to comedy stuff in there. But I think only about 50 percent of it work because Gordon Chan just he just can't make a dialogue scene pop anymore he's just a lot of times you sort of have a camera on the side and these people talking and they're standing in the same same spot they don't even move they rarely move and just them delivering dialogue and um um uh, gordon chance to get a new sound mixer because there's no ambient sounds in his dialogue scenes ever <laughs> and that's what he's been doing for the last you know 10 years even paint painted skin again no ambient sound in his films mm. uh very odd and um so so for me um when I think about it, like, I don't think it's a terrible film, but it just keeps pulling me back that, you know, god, it was, it runs 129 minutes, but then you keep feeling like it's being dragged out in the middle, um, so so, yeah, no, I I think if you say five, if you say five stars, we don't do star system here, but if you say five stars, I would just give it a solid not solid, okay, two and a half stars. That's pretty much it. That's pretty much what I will give it. Um, and, and, um, Vincent Zhao fans, I guess you get an extra half star <laughs> because, you know, but otherwise, uh, if you're watching for Samuel Hung, forget it. If you're trying to watch it for a new Redcliffe, eh, you might see something you like in here. If you're trying to watch it for martial arts, forget it. Um, but if you're interested for if you're interested in seeing the history and just kind of a completist, um, I guess you could go for it. So, yeah, that's kind of um, a muted, very, very, very muted recommendation for a very small amount of people.
0: And welcome back. So for West Screen this week, we are looking at the latest Disney Pixar animated film, Cars 3. The uh, latest in the trend, I guess, of Disney after acquiring Pixar to sort of push out um, sequels to some of their more successful franchises. Although this one was a bit of an enigma because Cars 2 didn't do all that well, um, comparably, if, if memory serves. And it was certainly not well-received in um, critic circles so Kevin is this playing over there yet or are they holding off on it
1: not yet uh, Pixar films in the summer generally get uh, two week, three week delay for the kids to get out of school because I mean kids are still in school here so uh, we don't get it until mid July mm.
0: right so this is being directed by Brian fee who previously worked as the storyboard artist on a few Disney Pixar films uh, notably Cars, Cars 2, and Wally. This is his directorial debut as such. He also helped work on the story. Uh, the cast, pretty much, if you are familiar with the previous films, most of them have returned uh, to their recognizable roles, uh, but in particular, Owen Wilson as Lightning McQueen and Larry the Cable Guy as um, Toe Mater, as he's known, along with a host of others from... Uh, Radiator Springs, and some new additions, people like Nathan Fillion uh, and others. So the story is uh, this. When the next generation of high-speed race cars arrive on the racing circuit, champion Lightning McQueen and his contemporaries find themselves being outclassed at the track. Not content with retirement, McQueen heads to a newly opened racing center in South Florida to get more training. There he meets a young and hip trainer named Cruz Ramirez. But when he finds that her methods don't really suit him, he begins to wonder if his racing days are truly over. So, uh, I'm not a huge, huge fan of the Cars franchise. I liked the first film, did not like the second film, but was kind of excited to see what they were going to do with this. Uh, In many ways, because of their trailer campaign. Um, The trailer, the, the animation for this one is obviously better than the previous two. It's glossier, looks nicer, a lot more attention to detail in some ways. The um, initial trailers that I saw didn't show much, you know, so they're kind of doing the whole Spielberg Jaws thing. They didn't reveal a lot, and that made me intrigued. I'm like, hmm, this looks like, you know, it could be interesting based on not what they're not showing me, which was a lot of what I came to see in the second film, you know, spies, cars, and, and all that kind of nonsense. Um, and this film... You know, the Cars franchise has also led off to some film and direct-to-video franchises, like with the planes, uh, the the two planes film spinoffs, and also the various um, short animations which feature um, Tomator as sort of the central character. So I know that in a lot of people's minds, this is really a big sort of Disney-style strategy marketing push to sell product to sell toys and and all of that stuff and that's all fine but overall going into this um i was kind of excited to see what they did and i came out relatively pleased i felt it was a fine return to form for the franchise as it was in the first cars film the emphasis here is really back on racing um so gone is all again all the sort of globe hopping and spy nonsense that they kind of put into um, the second film. They also get back to really focusing on Lightning McQueen um, and sort of his trials as a racer, um, as kind of the central component. Now that, that may not appeal to everybody, but I think that's part of the success of this. It's like, if you were making a Rocky movie and then they decide to do Rocky II and Rocky goes over to Russia to fight a Russian. And then he stays in Russia and he gets involved in a spy plot, right? (laughs) That's not a Rocky movie, right? So (laughs) here, you know, they, I think the writers got together and they said, look, we need to get back to sort of the root of the franchise. And that's what they did. And again, this is thanks in part to one of the co-screenwriters, Mike Rich, who's worked on sports movies before and things like movies like Secretariat. So I think he understands how to get the writing ingrained so that it's going to speak to people who are interested in a movie that's about a sport or about some kind of competitive aspect and so here i think that really works well it comes at a cost though and some people may not like that cost and i'll talk about that in in a moment but we've seen this story before once you get into it once you kind of see where it's going you're going to recognize it if you've seen movies like the rocky franchise or others. But I think for kids, it still has a good moral message and it's a good retelling here of that same kind of sort of plot arc. Um, They did some interesting things. So, for example, Paul Newman, who's since passed away, did the voice for Doc Hudson. But because he's such a pivotal part of sort of Lightning McQueen and who he is, they actually dug out some footage that wasn't used, um, some recorded footage they had of Paul Newman from the first film and they applied that here and I'm sure they were able to do some, I don't know, some, uh, what would you call it? Um, uh, digital magic too to sort of fill in the gaps if there were gaps to be filled in, um, you know, sort of, sort of like, um, Forrest Gump style stuff, I guess. Um, and, but that, that all worked well. Um, the one aspect that does get played down here is the toe mater aspect and a lot of the Radiator Springs gang, because they move a lot of the story down to South Florida. Um, some of those characters who were big parts of the first and second film get, you know, don't, they don't get quite as much attention. And, and that may be a good thing um, if you're somebody who's followed along, especially with sort of the the animated shorts, which have been very Tomator centric. If you're not a Larry the Cable Guy fan, um, you know, that may be a good thing for you. Uh, I, I'm okay with it, but I think it, for this story, it was nice that they really chose to focus more on Lightning McQueen and give him the the spot, spotlight. A little bit biased, too, because Florida gets some love, although it's not always the most... How should I say it? The most um, uh, glamorous side of Florida, um, but it's still funny. Um, there's a couple things that happen. And uh, the soundtrack here uh, is another thing that kind of annoyed me a little bit because they pick some really great songs. So they've got things like King's Highway from Tom Petty, Glory Days from Bruce Springsteen, um, uh, some other songs as well. But then they don't use the originals. They use covers of them. And that kind of, I you know, I, I guess I'm showing my age here because I really love, you know, the, the, the originals with Tom Petty and, and Bruce Springsteen. And to hear they got these new artists. I guess they're part of the Disney stable. This is something that Disney always does. But normally they do it in their when they're running the credits, right? So, you know, for example, you know, the one that comes to mind is Moana from last year. Um, the song that they got Dwayne Johnson to sing, um, Thank You, or, or You're Welcome, I think is the name of the song. They have some young kid cover it. During the credits, when the credits are rolling and they, they cover the, the Moana song, too, uh, just like they do with Frozen and, and a lot of the other stuff. And that's fine for the credits. But to hear the covers being sung by, you know, sort of these more pop-oriented Mouse Club, Mouseketeer-style singers um, just didn't really gel with me. It probably is going to work really well for a younger audience who are not familiar with the songs in Maybe it'll lead some of them to discover the original songs, but I kind of would have liked it if they used the original songs. And I'm guessing if they could get somebody to to re-sing it, it might not have been that much more for them just to get the original song itself. I don't know. Um, And hey, it's Disney, right? Um, They've got got lots of cash. Uh, Lots of cameos here, especially if you're a NASCAR fan. I don't follow NASCAR. I'm not a sports guy. Um, but some of the names are sure to, you know, be recognizable if you've even read a sports page on occasion. Um, they, as I said, they um, did dig out footage for Paul Newman, but they've got other characters here. Um, Nathan Fillion coming on um, to fill a role, and uh, my favorite, I think, is a certain duo from the NPR radio show Car Talk. And uh, if you listen, ever have ever listened to. The Car Talk show, you'll definitely recognize those guys. Um, and They have a bigger role here, um, which is great. The, um, and, and overall, again, I think it's it's a really good arc. The film's not doing too well, unfortunately, which is a shame. Um, it's definitely better rated. I think last time I checked, it was like around 66% on Rotten Tomatoes. Much better than Cars 2. But I think in terms of box office, it's not doing very well at all. And if this is the last film in the series, it's a good coda to the series, and that's fine. But, I, you know, as, as a better film, I'd like for it to get rewarded in some way. So, I'm, you know, I, I, I wish it could do a little bit better than, than it's doing. Not that I necessarily need more or want to see more, but it was refreshing for them to sort of get back on track, uh, as it were, with this series. Kevin, are you a fan of the Cars series at all?
1: I have not seen any of them. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I would have to watch the third one. Um, uh, I, think, I think I'm going to watch it with uh, this, Ross's son mm. uh, because he, he, he's a big car fan. And, he, of course, he's going to want to watch a film called Cars. Yeah. So uh, I think I would have to go to the cinema uh, well, with him.
0: I, let me give you some advice. I'd say, you know, if you can get a hold of it as a rental or something, do take some time to, to watch the first one. You don't okay. need to watch the second one at all.
1: That's what I've been told. <laughs> don't don't, don't bother with the
0: second one, but watch the first one because the first one does really kind of establish the foundation for going into this third one. And it's not terrible. You know, it's it's, it's, it's it's fine. It's a solid, you know, talking cars Pixar thing. Um, so it, it, it'll serve as a, as a fine sort of introduction. And if he's not seen that one, you know, you can sit down and watch it at home with him. Um, and, you know, that that I think that'll work out well and be enjoyable
1: yeah i have no idea because i'm a huge pixar fan so i've seen every pixar film except for the cars movies I, I don't know how i just sort of missed it but yeah i think i'm gonna have to watch at least the first one and i'm sure it's not that bad you know it's paul newman and and uh, you know it's john Lasseter who's like the godfather of pixar so it's it, it'll be fine i'm sure
0: the offshoots um the planes movies eh, they, they, were, they were more like direct-to-video kind of feel of stuff
1: I think See, I, I forgot, I thought that the whole thing about Mater being a spy, I thought that was a, one of those spin-off, direct-to-video spin-off movies, but turns out it was Cars 2. Yeah, totally Cars 2, and
0: they, I mean, for this, for those animated shorts, uh, they're all over on Netflix, and my daughter has kind of watched them on Endless Loop for a while, so I, I kind of know them all by heart. Um, but those are okay. My favorite of those, the one that I'd say, if you're going to watch any of them, watch the one called Tokyo um, Tokyo Mater where and it's basically him kind of telling these tall tales you, you never know if they're true or not but he goes he gets he gets he ends up in Tokyo somehow and he gets involved in a drift race right and so <laughs> it's it's very it's very much you know reflective of um uh you know drift racing and what was oh uh, what's the movie and the the manga? Fast and Furious 3 no, Tokyo no, 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 Drift No 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 not that um Initial D? Initial D, yeah. So, you know, it's got shout outs to stuff like that. And um, you know, that one's worth watching. And I, I it's a, like I said, it's on Netflix and you can probably find it other places too. Um, but overall, you know, I think that a lot of people got turned off by kind of the focus on Mater as the, the sidekick, goofy character. And so, again, this is a, a very nice kind of return to form by kind of pushing him a little. He's still there pushing him a little bit to the side there is an end credit scene all the way at the end it's nothing super special or significant it's sort of a one-off thing but you know you can wait to the end of the movie and catch that um, if you are so inclined you're listening to the east screen west screen podcast visit congcast.com for more You have been listening to the Screen West Screen podcast. Our theme music was composed by Rob Jabor of Radio Orchestra. Research has come from a variety of sources, but primarily lovehkfilm.com and the Hong Kong Movie Database. We also get a tremendous amount of moral support from listeners like you. So if you would like to be part of the show, please get in touch with us via the website at Kongcast.com. That's K-O-N-G-C-A-S-T.com. You can find us at Twitter at twitter.com slash concast. You can email us at eastscreen at gmail.com and you can find us on Facebook at East S, West S. As always, I urge you to follow along with Kevin and all that he is doing. So sir, where can they find out more about you?
1: I am the founder and the writer of uh, Asia in Cinema. I've met quite a few people who, who think it's called Asian Cinema, which I think, which means my goal in naming the site worked too well because they always get the name wrong. Um, but it's Asia in cinema uh so that's www.asiaincinema.com uh we're also on facebook and twitter as asia in cinema um so please do follow those because uh i often i'm doing more often now uh, posting news or or extra items that i wouldn't write about on the site but i would post them on facebook on twitter uh for example i got the theater list of okja in south korea now uh it's playing next week and i I posted a story that lists the 79 theaters and 103 screens that will be the screen the film uh next weekend in korea um uh, I'm also on Twitter. I am at the Golden Rock. That's one word, the Golden Rock. I'm also the uh, entertainment editor of uh, Cathay Pacific and Cathay Dragons uh, Discovery and Circle magazines. Uh, you can find some of our works um, on discovery, sorry, discovery.cathaypacific.com or cathaypacific.com/discovery. I think either one works. Uh, and you can uh, contact me at kevin at kevin@asiaincinema.com.
0: All right. Excellent. And speaking of Oakjaw, I think it's just about we're just about a little under or a little over a week away before that drops, right? Uh, yes. June yes. Twenty eighth, I think, is the the release date on Netflix.
1: Twenty eighth or twenty ninth. Well, twenty eighth maybe in the states, which means uh, midnight twenty eighth your time, perhaps not until the twenty eighth or twenty ninth here. But yeah, it's one of those two days. Yeah.
0: So we'll be sure to talk about that on a future coming episode as well. Um, Next episode is going to be episode 231. So what do you think you're going to be talking about then, sir?
1: Yeah, what we'll be talking about. Um, I will probably do 77 Heartbreaks, the Herman Yao romance drama starring Charlene Choi, or the new Macau film, uh, Hour 17. Um, I'll probably catch that anyway, but I think more people probably want me to talk about Charlene. So, So let's do that one next week.
0: All right, that sounds good. As for myself, I think on deck this week is transformers i think i don't know (laughs) about my ticket baby about my ticket Uh, we're gonna suffer through this together paul we have to do this together as a team you know we we, we will be virtually connected in our suffering in the cinema uh so yeah that should be on our next show all that and more until then this is the east screen west screen podcast saying we wish you good viewing even if you're gonna watch transformers or not uh and we'll see you next time